0: Awesome. Thanks, Andrew, and uh, good morning, everyone, um, and welcome to our online One Hope. Um, particularly if you're tuning in, maybe for the first time, or I know there's some people from Warren who are joining us. It's great to have you. And um, yeah, my name's Joe, and I'm the uh, youth and young adults pastor here, and. Um, Yeah, I'm excited for this morning. Now, little fun fact, uh, but this is not the uh, first time I've been scattered across a few TV screens on a Sunday morning. Um, Back when I was about 21, I uh, had an interview in Sydney for a small time uh, TV show. It was on a Sunday morning about 5.30 a.m. And uh, essentially what happened is throughout the day, I Sort of got a little bit nervous about this interview. Uh, It was a long process. There was this really sort of famous Christian band that was playing before me and the guy sort of explained the process and it was really simple. He simply said, uh, I'll introduce you and then you are to say thanks for having me or it's great to be here and then I'll go on and then ask some questions. Now, like I said, I got a bit nervous and I got into the studio and my mouth was a bit dry, There's all these lights and cameras, a little bit like there is today and uh, he did the intro and instead of saying thanks for having me or it's great to be here, I just stumbled and said it, it's, it's good to have me, which is probably technically correct. Uh, I'm sure they enjoyed having me but not really what you say. Um, so apologies if I jumble some words this morning, it's all a bit different, a bit new, but uh, we've made this rule, Andrew and I, that uh, there's no redos. Uh, we're not going to drastically edit things unless it like really needs to happen. But because in the end, this is not about a, a polished production or a perfect delivering of a sermon, but this is about us trying to communicate God's word just like we do each Sunday. And uh, we're excited to do that over this different medium this morning. So, like Andrew mentioned, we're going through the book of John. And so I want to encourage you to have that open. Um, John was most likely the last gospel account that was written. uh, And it brings a very different flavor. Uh, The book of Matthew, for example, 90% of what you find in the book of Mark is found in Matthew and Luke. So they're all quite similar, whereas 90% of what you read in John is unique. It brings this very different flavor to uh, how Jesus lived his life. It doesn't follow the same chronological path, but it's a lot more thematic, and it's a lot more theologically focused on who Jesus is. And the Gospel of John, it's structured around seven key signs or miracles and seven key statements. And sometimes these are linked, and sometimes they stand alone. And what we get at the end of John is the author, who's likely the Apostle John, he gives the purpose of why he wrote the book. It says this in chapter 20, verse 31. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So really, this is our prayer over the next few weeks as we dive into the Gospel of John, that that would be us, that we would know Jesus more, that we would believe in him, and that by believing, we would have life in his name. The purpose of John is really the same purpose of these preaching themes. So we're going to be looking at the I Am statements. There's seven of them, and we're going to look at them over six services, and the reason that these have often stood out to scholars is because this language of i am is really key in the bible what we see in the old testament when god revealed himself to moses through the burning bush he declared his name and this is what he said in exodus 3 i am who i am this is what you are to say to the israelites i am has sent you and so these statements and there's other times as well in the gospel where jesus simply replies and he says, you know, before Abraham was, I am. He uses this language intentionally, and it's picked up by the author to to really declare the divinity of Jesus. As you read through the gospel, and I'm going to encourage you with your family or by yourself to read through the gospel of John over this coming period. But the author's trying to make it clear, and Jesus himself is making this claim that He is not an ordinary man. It's not just a good teacher with some good ideas that does some good things, but this is God in flesh, here to bring life and to bring light as people would turn to him and believe in him. And so this morning we're going to be looking at chapter 6 and I want to encourage you to have it open in front of you. It's one of the biggest uh, chapters in the Gospels, so we're not going to read the whole thing. We're going to focus particularly on the discussion that we see in the second half. But it's probably important to see the whole chapter. It's probably important to see some of the big connections that are being made. And so the chapter, it works like this. There's, at the start, we have the sign, we have the miracle. Jesus feeds 5,000 people and it's probably more likely 5,000 men. It's probably over 10,000 people that he's feeding. And in fact, this, this feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that occurs in all four Gospels. Which just highlights its importance. Now what we get in John, which we don't get in the other gospels, is the explanation that follows the teaching where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. Now a couple quick things before we get into the text itself. Uh, the first thing that I think I realized when I read this story is that it's all an interruption. Um, if you read the other gospel accounts, it said that Jesus and his disciples, they were, they were heading away. They were, had a busy time in ministry and they wanted to go and rest. And all of a sudden they're bombarded by this crowd of thousands. And even then Jesus sends the disciples in the boat and he catches up by walking on the water. And then they get to the other side of the lake. And again, the crowd comes all the way around and interrupts them again. And uh, I'm guessing for you and, and, and Definitely for me, you know, life has been pretty interrupted. But what I love is that Jesus doesn't dismiss the moment. He doesn't, he doesn't sort of say, actually, you know what, I had a different plan in mind. He welcomes the interruption and he makes the most of these moments by teaching the people. Feeding them physically, but more so feeding them spiritually, as we'll see soon. Not only that, but the timing of the story is important. We read in John 6 verse 4, that the Passover, which was the Feast of the Jews, was at hand. So this is right around the time of the Passover, where most of the Jews would have been heading towards Jerusalem to celebrate. They were remembering uh, the Exodus when God had rescued His people out of slavery in Egypt. And so this is like a special time in the calendar for the Israelites, for the Jews. They were remembering the stories of old and celebrating together what God had done. And so it's with that in mind at this time when we begin to understand what what is happening here as Jesus feeds the 5,000 and then talks about being the bread of life. Because the people have all the Old Testament stories in their mind. They're, They're preparing for the Passover. And so it's in that context where Jesus, in the wilderness, in the desert, gathers them together and he feeds them read. It begins to make these connections. The people respond and they ask about Moses and about the manna that they once received, which we read about in Exodus 16. See, in Exodus, the people had been rescued from slavery in miraculous fashion, and they then began this journey to the promised land, a land that had been Promised to their forefathers, a land that was flowing with milk and honey. But on the way, naturally, they start complaining about their lack of food and water. And so the people complain to Moses, Moses then goes to God, and this is what God says in Exodus 16. At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So God was going to feed them, and that was going to reveal to them more that Yahweh, their God, was the God of all. So what happened is each day they would go out from their tents and they would gather food, they would gather bread. Um, But one of the fascinating things is that they weren't allowed to stockpile it, they weren't allowed to hoard it, which maybe is a message for our day. But basically, at the end of each day, their bread would be rotten, it would be destroyed, and they couldn't eat it the next day. Every day they had to go out, except for on the sixth day, the day before the Sabbath, they were allowed to take extra and it would last miraculously for two days so that they wouldn't work on the day of rest. And so when Jesus is in the wilderness, he has a large crowd who are hungry. He then provides bread. The people get what they need. But there's leftovers. There's 12 bags full. And if you know the Old Testament, 12 is a significant number. And this is around the time of the Passover. And the crowd begin to make all these connections. They're beginning to understand that there is more at play here than just a miracle. Jesus is doing something much bigger and trying to say something much bigger. And so we're going to look at the discussion that they have and see what Jesus is on about. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read a few sections. I'm going to explain each section as we go, and uh, we'll see what Jesus has to say. So John chapter 6, verse 25, and the words will be on the screen as well, so you can follow. When the crowd found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, teacher, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you were seeking me. Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So what's Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that these people had come all the way around the Sea of Galilee. They had walked all this way, not because they understood the sign but because they had had a feed. They're they're thinking materially. Remember for the Israelites, it was something they had to do each day. Each day they had to go and gather the bread. And so they're thinking materially, but Jesus is thinking eternally. And this becomes a key point of contention through the rest of the chapter and the rest of the discussion that they have. And it's probably something we struggle with too. The material versus the eternal. You see, the crowd are looking for him purely because of the material. They're wanting another good and probably free meal. But Jesus says they're missing the sign. They're missing the meaning of the moment that they are in. It's like when you take a road trip. You know, you're driving for hours and you're struggling. You're starting to get hungry. You need some some food. And then you see one of the best things that you'll ever see. You see a sign for the golden arches. And maybe at that point, there's this joy within you. You feel a bit of happiness. You get a bit of a spring in your step. You can start to taste the greasy goodness. But you don't stop there. You don't stop at the sign and think, okay, that's all I need and I'm just going to keep going. No, the sign is pointing you to something, pointing you somewhere where you need to go to get what you need, which is, of course, a wonderful, wonderful cheeseburger. As that's what Jesus is saying here is that you're missing the point. If, if the 5,000, five if that was just about food, you're missing the deeper truth. It is a sign pointing to something greater. And so this crowd, they rush around the lake to get to Jesus. they're searching for something, but they don't quite know what they're searching for. They're just thinking, maybe we can get a meal. Maybe we can get some sort of material benefit in the moment maybe for you as well you're trying to work hard on this faith thing but you're thinking now materially maybe you're thinking that he will heal your body or that he'll restore your family or provide a breakthrough or that you'll become a better person or you will make some great friends and now i'm not saying none of that can happen of course jesus does that he did that in the story he he miraculously provided for thousands of people But what Jesus is trying to make clear here is that these things are not the focus in and of themselves. He says our focus is to be on the Son of Man who gives food that endures to eternal life. It is in Him, in Jesus, that we find all that we need. So don't go searching for the benefits of the kingdom. We go searching for the King. And when we find the King, we get the benefits of the kingdom. Like John said, when we believe in Him, we find life. So we go searching for the king, not the benefits of the kingdom. And that's an important distinction to make. Because when we find the king, yes, we might receive healing, which would be supernatural and amazing. But we also might receive the loving grace to endure the suffering, which is just as supernatural and incredible. We might receive that supernatural provision or we might receive the joyful, supernatural contentment to persevere. The King knows what we need. Jesus knows what we need and he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, come to me. He invites us to search for him and seek him first and then everything will be added unto us. The order is always important. We're to focus on the King, on the person of Jesus. Don't stop at the sign, but follow where the sign is pointing. And really, what we'll see in this chapter is the sad part of the story is that thousands of people ate bread. But nearly all of them missed out on the bread of life. We read at the end of the chapter that that all of them walked away. All that's left are the 12 disciples. Because what Jesus says is difficult, because they're missing the meaning, because they stopped at the sign. They're content with the material, not realising that they need something eternal. May that not be us in these moments. May we not get content with the material and forget that we are after, we are needing something eternal. So let's carry on. Let's have a read of verse 28 and 29. So then the crowd responded to Jesus saying, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. See, at this point, this crowd is still interested. They're still thinking, Yeah, okay, we want to be a part of this. Just tell us what to do. And Jesus simply simply responds, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. If you want to know what's important for your life, if you want to know what to do with with all your spare time, if you want to know what to do in the chaos of our world at the moment, it is simply to believe in Jesus and to believe in who he says he is. And it's so simple that we'll probably struggle with it. As simple as a greeting, like, thanks for having me, or it's great to be here. We can mess that up and answer everything else fine, because, you know, we're smart, we've got things sorted, and we can do the more advanced things. You know, some of us, we can give great arguments for Christianity, and why its values are so important for society, and we can, you know, explain all the texts in the Bible, and we can... You know, talk about all the great programs at our church and how great the community is but can you simply state why you believe in Jesus you see that's what the book of John is all about we talked about it before and the purpose of this book is to explain to us who Jesus is so that we would believe and have life in his name Even in verse 35, which is our key verse, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In fact, in the book of John, believe is mentioned over 90 times. And every single time, it is a verb. See, sometimes in Paul's writing, it's a noun. But every single time in the book of John, it is a verb. It is something that you do. It is the work of God. Which can seem a bit confusing. Particularly for us, you know, in Reformed background, it's faith, you know, alone, not works. And so, how does this work? Talking about believing is something that you do. A simple way to understand it is replace the word believe with the word trust. And you probably get a bit closer to what the Bible is talking about when it says believe. It's not talking about um, believing this abstract concept or idea in your head. But it is about trusting in a person, and that person being Jesus. So ask yourself, do you trust Jesus? Do you trust that Jesus alone will lead you to life? Life in its fullness, and life for eternity. And like I said in this passage, thousands of people can't do this. Because trusting in Jesus, believing in him meant a total shift in everything they knew, everything that they ex- expected of the Messiah. This was a reorientation of their whole life. but Jesus asking them to believe and to trust. And maybe in the chaos of the last couple of weeks, maybe your faith is being tested. You know for me as I look at my life and my work and my leisure, my relationships, my home life, my future plans, like all of that has been shaken. And it's revealed some things about my heart. It's revealed about what I trust will lead to life. What I trust will bring me satisfaction or contentment or joy. Maybe these moments for us are a chance to assess whether we really believe in Jesus, whether we really trust him. Leslie Newbegin put it this way, To believe is to have been brought to the place where no one knows that one has to rely completely on Jesus and on Jesus alone. To believe is to be brought to the place where one knows that one has to rely completely on Jesus and on Jesus alone. That is what Jesus is saying. This is the work of God, to believe, to trust in Him alone, Relying on Him to bring us life. So do you believe in Him? Do you trust in Him this morning? And So let's read verse 30 to 40. And let's, let's see where Jesus begins to take this. Because the crowd begin to react a little differently. From verse 30. So they said to Him... Then, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And so they said to him, Sir, Give us this bread always. You know, they're starting to make the connections between the Old Testament. They're starting to understand about the manna and the wilderness. And, okay, we had bread. And they're starting to make those connections. And they're in. They say, give us this bread always. And so Jesus responds in verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And I'll raise him up on the last day. And in verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him. You know, they go from verse 34, give us this bread always, to verse 41, they're grumbling. And then later on, they're disputing. And then eventually, they walk away. Why? Because Jesus claims that he's from heaven. Jesus claims to be divine, to be the answer to their wandering. And it's wrapped in this grand statement in verse 35 I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now we need to settle a couple of misconceptions here because we can hear this without material thinking, and we can miss the eternal. Jesus is not saying here that he will fulfill all of our earthly desires and that we'll never be physically hungry. Or thirsty. Remember the Old Testament context. The people of Israel did not desire manna from heaven. They just knew that they needed it. It didn't taste good. They complained about it once they got it. It was just what they needed to get to where they desired. See they were on a journey being rescued from slavery, being taken to the promised land. The land that was flowing with milk and honey, a land that they had been promised. It was what they desired. What they wanted to get to was the promised land. The manna is what they needed in the desert to get there. And so what Jesus is saying when he's saying, I'm the bread of life, and when we understand the Old Testament context to it all, he's not saying that he will fulfill all of our desires. What he's is saying is that he will sustain us on our wilderness journey, on the way to the promised land. And that's a big difference. This is way more than earthly satisfaction. This is about our eternal destination. We will get there, but it's not in our own strength, not in our own plans, not in our ability to carefully manage our resources, not in our ability to navigate difficult circumstances. We receive daily bread through Jesus, through a person who we have a relationship with. Through God himself, the bread of life. He promises that in the wilderness, we won't die thirsty. We won't die hungry. He will sustain us to the end. And in light of the current events, I believe this is something we all need to hear and be reminded. That Jesus will see us through this wilderness. He will see us through this crazy season. And furthermore, Jesus will see us through the next crazy season, and the season after that, and the season after that. He will see us through all the seasons of our life, right and through the end. And so he calls us to believe him, to trust him, knowing that we find life in him. See, this is the whole focus for Jesus and for the Father. We see in verse 40, the will of my Father is that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I'll raise Him up on the last day. God's thinking endgame. He's thinking big picture. His will is to raise us up on the last day, to get us all the way through to the promised land. Now that doesn't mean that God is not concerned with the here and now. Of course He is. In 1 Peter it says, Cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. But we need to remember that God has the big picture in mind. He's hoping, he wants to raise us up on the last day, to see us through to eternal life. And in verses 37 in verse 39, Jesus reminds us and He says, "Like I'm not going to cast you out. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to lose you along the way. God is faithful and He will keep His end of the deal. He has promised to never leave us. He's promised to never forsake us. He promised to be our God, that we would be His people. And the beauty of the gospel is that God keeps his end of the bargain. He's our saviour and our king. And our work is simply to believe. See, these verses are an assurance to us who believe. That we can be safe and secure in our saviour. And we can know that he sustains us all the way to eternity. And we can know that he satisfies us with Eternity. In fact, throughout the rest of the chapter, and we don't have time to dive into it, but I want to encourage you and your family and your life groups, read through this whole chapter, talk about about it, dive into it. But all throughout it, we get this repeated focus on eternity. It says numerous times that I will raise him up on the last day or that we'll live forever or that we'll have eternal life. See, nearly everything in our lives is temporary. It doesn't last and Jesus is pointing us to what is eternal and that is himself, that is God and that is us. We all have an eternal destination. We all crave something more. You know, I love what C.S. Lewis says where he says, If we find in ourselves desires that nothing in this world satisfies, satisfied, I can only conclude that I was made for another world. Or as the way that the Bible puts it, in Ecclesiastes it says, He has put eternity into the hearts of men. I really feel like it's clear that there is nothing in this world that satisfies. And yet Jesus makes it clear that He does. And He will sustain us till the end where we will be with Him completely in perfection. What we know now in part, one day we know in full. Do we know, do you know your eternal destination? Do you long for it? And do you know the safety and the security of knowing Jesus, the bread of life? You know, the other repeated theme that we get in these final verses is that it's the Father who draws us. It's the Father who chooses us. All throughout, Jesus says, you know, our work is to believe, and then he repeatedly says that it's actually not dependent on us. God himself is the one who chooses us, who calls us, and who draws us in. Now, I can understand that this can be a bit disturbing because, well, let's be honest, we like to feel like we're in control We like to be in control of our lives and our destiny. And, you know, in the end, I do believe that we have a choice to accept the gift or to receive Jesus as king or to reject him as king. But I find it really comforting that God chooses us, that he grabs a hold of us and he does not let go. We may choose to walk away like many of the disciples in this story did, But he always keeps his end of the bargain. He always holds on. And he will sustain us right to the very end. He will take us to the promised land. We will arrive one day on heaven's shores. But we will know that we didn't do it in our own strength. We did it through Jesus. He is the one who gives us strength. He is the bread of life. And so... At the end of chapter six, and I I want to wrap up with this. You know, it's gone from a crowd of thousands to a group of twelve. Not really the best sermon technique, and hopefully not what's happened on this live stream. But Jesus turns to the apostles and he asks them, "Well, do you want to go away as well?" He like says, "Like this is your chance. If you want to leave, you can tap out now." And I love how Peter responds. And for me, it's some of like the most beautiful human words that you get in the Bible. He just says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You know, that movement is really my prayer for this morning. That we would hear Jesus' words of eternal life. And that we would believe, that we would trust. And in that journey of believing and trusting, we would actually come to know, we would come to a place of confidence, knowing that Jesus is who he says he is. That's certainly been my journey. You know, I've tasted and I've seen the goodness and the grace of God. And I feel like I'm at a point now where I go, where else can I go? I have believed, and I've come to know that Jesus is worth it all. He can be trusted and He leads us to life. He gives us what we need in these moments. So I want to urge you this morning to trust in Him. In these times of trouble, in these times of trial, that we would trust in Him, knowing that He gives life in all of its fullness. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for these words. And God, wherever we are right now, I want to pray that you would, by your Spirit, help us to understand. God, that we would know your words of eternal life, that we wouldn't get caught up or stuck in the material, but we would know you of eternal. And God, that by turning to you, God, I pray that you'd help us to believe, that you'd help us to trust, that you'd help us to know who you are. And in that, that we would find life and we would find all that we need. We thank you for your grace and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. As we wrap up, maybe this morning you're considering this whole Jesus thing. Maybe you've tuned in and you just go, I want to know more. I want to know what it means to believe. I, I feel like I might need Jesus and you're not quite sure where to start. I want to encourage you, you can either comment below, you can either message me privately or the church page. You can head to our website and leave a message. And I'd love to give you a call and have a chat and pray with you. If you're at home, I want to encourage you uh, to chat about this message further with your kids, with your family. I know our kids had a bit of a scavenger hunt to do. I know, hopefully, you've been taking notes and you can talk about it. Maybe give your life group a quick call. And check in, just say, how did you find it? Pray for each other, encourage each other. You know, one of the key aspects of our Sunday worship services is fellowship. And we're looking for ways to do that better. Why don't I encourage you to take the initiative this morning? Just give someone a call, see how they're going and encourage them. Like we mentioned this week and like Andrew mentioned before, you know, once this stream finishes, that does not mean church ends. But rather, I think that's when church is beginning. So may we head into this week, may we be praying for each other, may we stay connected and if you need anything let us know, we'll be praying for you and we'll be sharing more throughout the week. So have a blessed week and uh, we'll see you next time.